Welcome to Making a Scene, an Esplanade podcast about how art gets made. In this episode, we find out how COVID-19 is changing arts education. I'm Clarissa Oon, and I head communications and content for Esplanade. Before that, I was an arts journalist. And way before that, I was part of the Theatre Studies and Drama program at Victoria Junior College as a student, where I devised and directed plays and learned about stage production. That set me on the path to arts journalism, and now, working in a performing arts centre. VJC began offering Theatre Studies and Drama as an A-level subject in 1989, becoming the first junior college in Singapore to do so. Since then, the arts education landscape in Singapore has expanded. In 2000, theatre practitioners Kuo Kun and T. Sasitharan launched the Theatre Training and Research Programme. This independent theatre school for contemporary artists is now known as the Intercultural Theatre Institute, or ITI. Then in 2008, the School of the Arts, or SOTA, was founded. It became Singapore's first national pre-tertiary specialised arts school with a six-year integrated arts and academic curriculum. For students training to become professional performing artists and for those who have chosen to build a strong foundation in the arts to prepare for more diverse future aspirations, COVID-19 has made a huge impact on their education. Access to in-person instruction, school resources and peer collaboration has been interrupted. With the performing arts industry still in a state of suspension, students are also facing a future full of uncertainties. Here are ITI students talking about their experience of creating work for their final year theatre-making individual project in these unusual times. Uh, when we were, before we were going for the lockdown, as Sassi did mention that, let's see how will it turn up working in your uh, room Maybe it can create some uh, completely uh, uh, different pieces. So when I start working in my room and it, it, like Aki said, it's quite restricted to uh, make things and we were limited to make some of the voice and, and uh, noises around here. So the old work were just stuck here. So uh, when we got the chance to do it in studio for a few days. When we enter, I was going there, wow, my work was done. It uh, was working very good in a room. When I started doing uh, in studio, nothing is working. It's because the, uh, the size of the room itself, it's changed your, your, uh, the way how you perform and the floor and everything influences you. From the very beginning, I wanted Asymptote to be an audience, participation audience, interactive performance. And I remember when we went into the phase one of lockdown, somebody asked me, so how your show? <laughs> uh, isn't that the whole premise of your show that the audience gets to choose which stories? And I kind of went, I'm just going to go with it. I'm not going to change. I'm going to try not to compromise as much as possible because I think, I think there was this spirit of resistance inside of me that just kind of, I, I didn't want to accept the new normal. I really didn't want to. Today, I'll be talking to ITI's director, Sasi Tharan, or Sasi, 
and SOTA's Principal Mary Sia about the challenges of teaching the arts during the pandemic and why this is a critical period for continuing to make sure arts education remains an integral part of the Singapore landscape. So hi, Sassi and Mary. Welcome to Making a Scene. Thank you so much for joining me today. Maybe we can start by both of you telling me about why your schools were founded and who they cater to. Mary, would you like to go first? Thank you, Claire. Thank you for having me on this program. A little bit about SOTA. Now, SOTA was set up in 2008 as part of the Renaissance City plans. At that time, while there were tertiary arts education institutions, there were none actually at the pre-tertiary level. And as such, SOTA was set up to pluck this gap. And also at that time, it was the Education Ministry's plan to diversify the educational pathways for our young people so that they could pursue a whole new range of interests and realise their aspirations. So right from the outset, SOTA was not set up to narrowly focus on nurturing professional artists, but rather it is to imbue in our young people a creative spirit so that they could be contributing in unique ways wherever they are placed. Our vision, therefore, is to nurture our students to be creative citizens for the future. Thanks, Mary Sassi. Why don't you tell us more about ITI? Yeah, thanks, Claire. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, really. The Intercultural Theatre Institute, ITI, was set up as a professional, vocational, practice-centred programme for actors who want to make original work in contemporary theatre. When Palkun and I set up the Academy 20 years ago, actually we are 20 years old now, <laughs> there was no option locally for actors to be trained. And ITI was conceived as a decolonialized project for theatre training. Fundamentally, it was seen as a project which would put at the centre of its curriculum the Asian traditional theatre form which is remarkable in its potential to still be relevant in the training and the shaping of actors for the contemporary stage. That's the first thing. The other thing which was fundamental to ITI from the start was this idea of interculturality. It was recognised very early on that the practice of contemporary theatre in Singapore was unique. It was unique because Singapore is at the edge of the curve of multiculturalism. We have always been an open, multilingual, multicultural, multi-ethnic society which was drawing on cultures of Asia which are hundreds of years old, which have their own heritage of theatre. So what we wanted to do in this programme was to look inwards first at the potential and the knowledge for theatre that was already existing in Asia and juxtapose that with Western canons of theatre practice. So it was a consciously decolonial project for making contemporary theatre, which is uniquely Singaporean. Our mission is to train cultural leaders, artists, actors, theatre makers, writers, directors who are unafraid to speak for their communities, to speak for issues which are fundamental and relevant to their people, and to make theatre which is about life, 
Paukun's vision was always that art had to reflect life. It had to speak of life and ultimately it had to return to life. And that's what we are committed to doing in ITI. So at both SOTA and ITI, in training performing artists, I think for, for many of us, the performing arts is, is very much associated with the live experience. But now that with COVID, we're all in this strange situation where we have moved to digital for a lot of our communication and even performances have gone digital. What have some of the challenges been for both your institutions in the rush to move teaching and performing to digital platforms? And how have your schools supported students and teachers through these challenges? Maybe I'll start. All right, so at SOTA, we're taking students as young as 13 years old and they graduate finally at 18. And when COVID hit us, we were barely into the end of term one. And in April, in early April, we had all gone to what we call full home-based learning. So for my year one students, I think it was a challenge of ensuring that there was very little time. So it was a challenge of actually trying to build studio habits in our very young students coming into the school and taking arts education, for some of them quite seriously for the first time. So I think that's one challenge. The other challenge that we have is with the act of experimentation, exploration. We all know that there is a great element of improvisation and, and devised theatre, improvised music. There's a lot of creativity that needs to go on in a classroom and that requires in-person attendance by students and teachers because we all know that arts education ought to be a sensory experience. With COVID, that really disrupted what it could have been. Yeah, ITI draws students from all over the world. We have students who come from 17 different countries. And the diversity is a very important part of any cohort of students in ITI. So when we got into the pandemic mode, as I say, it was quite debilitating. We really didn't know what to do because our work was in the studio. It was bodies in space and time interacting with each other, interacting with text, interacting with music. And this is what making theatre was all about. I mean, you literally needed to feel the pulse of the person you were acting with. This was the whole point of theatre. It was live, it was direct, and it was immediate. These are fundamentals to making theatre. So obviously, when we got into the circuit breaker mode, we had to scramble, literally, to reconfigure the program so that the elements relating to surveys, to reading, to theory could go quite easily onto online platforms and we did home-based learning. Students were in front of computers discussing theory and discussing text and talking about their readings. But, you know, it was like cutting a limb off your body because that kind of discussion has to be contiguous with, connected with the physicality on the floor. And that never happened. And so for almost two months, our students were stewing in their own homes, in their own rooms. And you must understand that many of them were foreign students. So there were anxieties about their families back home, anxieties about what was the future for a performer in a post-COVID world? Where is theatre going to be 
in the post-COVID world? Is it still going to be relevant? Is it still going to be possible? These were fundamental existentialist questions which the students had to deal with. And so we had to be very careful to make sure that their mental health and well-being, their state of mind, their emotional states were catered to. And we tried to keep channels open and worked furiously to bring everything back to the studio as fast as we can and as safe as we can. And we did that in August, thank God. So now the whole curriculum is back in the studios, but with all your precautions, your distancing, your masks, and the constant interminable cleaning that we have to do. But this seems to be the new reality. This seems to be what we need to deal with in theatre now. And still, still we are not sure when the theatres are going to open and when actors can be with audiences, right? Yeah, I mean, that state of suspension, actually, like you said, Sasi, is very it can have an adverse effect on one's mental health. And I'm wondering, Mary, given that, that SOTA students are young, I mean, they are aged between 13 to 18, have, have there been any specific challenges in, in this area in terms of looking out for them, their emotional and mental health? Yeah, most certainly. I think, well, look, just like any other secondary school and JCs, the students in SOTA are divided into classes, and each class has what we call a class mentor, one or two class mentors. And each year level has got a year mentor looking after all the classes in that level. And so we have set up a support structure to make sure that we check in with the students every morning. It's as if they are taking their attendance in a regular school. They, they have to report at a certain time to their class mentors. And uh, that's when class mentors actually devise a range of ways to actually check in with the students to find out how they're doing. And as a school, we have counsellors at bay to help should there be a need for the counsellors to be activated. And we keep in close contact with parents if necessary. And at the school level, uh, throughout the full HBL period, we ran surveys, we kept our ears very close to the ground so that, you know, if there are any issues, we could immediately come in. So Sasi, you spoke earlier about the post-COVID world and this whole state of being in the new normal. And I'm wondering, in this new normal, what are your thoughts on the space for digital performances, not just to substitute the theatre, the physical space of the theatre, but as a new genre of theatre in itself, has the pandemic brought about any new opportunities in this regard? I think it has forced us to reconsider what the role and the responsibility of the actor is in the world today. In contemporary theatre, the use of digital media or the use of technology is nothing new. Many, many companies have experimented with technology, with media, with soundscapes, and the relationships of the, of the live body with the image is something that's de rigueur almost for a lot of contemporary theatre production. From opera to experimental small-scale theatres, this is nothing new. But what COVID forced us to do was to consider this without a live audience. That was new. Digital media per se wasn't new, but doing digital media to the exclusion of a live audience, that was new. And, and it created enormous anxieties in the actor because there is a feedback loop that any performer has with his or her audience. When you are on stage, you are interacting with the audience and the audience is absolutely essential for the creation of movement, of sound, of speech, of truth, 
on stage. You cannot do away without it. But here we were faced with an empty hall or an empty studio, and you had to work. And this was exceedingly difficult. It was almost sometimes inconceivable. And many students, I think, began to feel the emotional weight and the burden of doing this. And quite honestly, what is this about? It's about loneliness. It's about isolation. It's about separation and being on your own. And these are states that, you know, psychological states that we need to support students, provide networks so that they can feel secure and comfortable enough to continue working. But to answer your question, yes, I think that it's going to be absolutely essential for actors to now take acting for the camera, acting for the screen, digital media, that kind of work, to be able to shift perspectives so that craft skills that are learned for the stage can also be used for the digital space. And it's a matter of survival, really. This is how actors are going to have to work in the future. Mary, what are your thoughts on digital performance, not just for actors in the theatre, but also for music and dance, which are other art forms that uh, SOTA teaches? I mean, certainly the pandemic has imposed many limitations to live performances. So I think to my students and staff, I think that it's created a void in them. But if you look at the other side of the coin, it's also presented many opportunities for them to develop new skills and for them to learn things in new ways. So I think one of the things that they have been very hungry in learning about is they now have access to many artists from Singapore and abroad through virtual platforms, and they have actively learned from these people. And in turn, they have learned to also create content for other people that they really want to reach out to. So some of my students have taken a chance to actually create content for primary school students. Some of them have reached out to people at the fringes by creating content online. In the act of creating this content, they are learning new skills of performing on digital platforms. And they're learning about the whole new world, about, for example, copyright, right? Because if you have to stream live content, it's a whole new world. They have to learn about these things and they're discovering so many things they did not know. And of course, engaging, engaging their audience in a very different way through a screen, through, through a digital platform is very different, as Sassi has shared, in terms of engaging audience through this way compared to a live performance. So they have got to learn a lot of new digital skills, learning how to put things together, arrange music, get through copyright issues and things like that. On the subject of challenges, Sasi, I understand that ITI will be moving out of its current location. I'm wondering how the school plans to move forward with regards to physical location and also what have the funding challenges been for independent arts institutions like ITI? Any specific issues in particular relating yeah, to COVID? Yeah, I mean, look, I think what COVID-19 has done is that it's really laid bare fundamental weaknesses within the structure of grant-making for arts institutions in Singapore. What it has revealed is the tenuous existence of arts companies, how much we are dependent on certain structures of economy, which, when they become disrupted, go to the core of the survival of the institution of the company. And I think we already know this. There's going to be a huge cost to art making and art 
basically to the economy of the creative industries in Singapore. We're not sure how many companies are going to be able to survive this economic disruption. And um, the need for support has never been more critical and never been more clear. So as far as ITI is concerned, we are an academy. We see ourselves as an academy. We are not a production company per se, although we do productions. So the need for permanent facilities, for a permanent home is vital for our project. We won't be able to continue working in the manner that we've been doing with the kind of intensity and focus that we've been able to provide without having secure premises. And that's what we are doing right now. And of course, the big question is rental, right? I mean, this is the big cost of doing any kind of work in Singapore. It's the cost of setting up the infrastructure for the work. And so we are still negotiating with government authorities to work out rentals which would be affordable for us. And we are on the lookout for a space where we might be able to rebuild the structures that we need to continue working. I think, Claire, the biggest challenge for ITI is this, right? The program is premised on the possibility of interactions of a world where people can connect and literally touch each other so that cultures can grow out of differences and out of commonalities that all human beings have. And when COVID-19 first broke, I remember one of our students from France telling us, as if ITI is a dream now, because everyone is putting up walls. People couldn't travel anymore. Yeah, the possibility of of interacting and exchanging cultural knowledge became critically questioned. And this is the greatest challenge, I think, for us because we need to find ways of continuing to interact and build our cultural strengths, our cultural ballast, so that we can grow, so that humanity can grow. And that, for me, is the biggest challenge that I'm facing. Yeah, yeah so speaking of our cultural ballast, the common perception that arts are a luxury or not as important as other aspects of education. Now, this is something that has become more pronounced, sadly, during the pandemic. I mean, for instance, a Sunday Times poll published in June ranked the artist as the top non-essential job. And the hoo-ha, the discourse that followed, made clear that many artists feel that the value of art is not well appreciated in Singapore. And Sasi, like you said, a focus on pressing bread and butter issues during this crisis may also push funding support for the arts to the back burner. And a recent NAC survey also notes that arts freelancers expect their income from the arts to fall by 70%. So it's a very precarious situation that the arts is in. What are the implications of this for arts education, Sasi? I think we need to work in a way where we can be more self-reliant. We need to work more efficiently. I think that we need to, as artists, we need to, because look, the other big pandemic or catastrophe which we are not talking about is the environment, is the work that we do and what is the cost of art making on the environment. And this is something that's only recently being acknowledged as a core responsibility for art makers and for artists. And yeah, so to answer your question, I think we need to re-examine, review once again the structures, the economies, the, the means of productivity which we have been using to make art. And my own sense of it is that 
work will have to become smaller in scale. It will have to become more intimate. It will have to be connected to the local and to people around us, while at the same time, we try to maintain connections with a global perspective, with, with our international collaborators. We have to find a new equilibrium to work. And this is going to be a big challenge. Mary, the precarious state of the arts in COVID, what do you think are the implications of it for arts education? And how do you see SOTA continuing to attract and prepare students for their professional futures in this context? I think I will uh, first start by answering the question in a broader context. I think Ona Mossel brings home the point very strongly that arts education has a very important place in all schools in Singapore. It is part and parcel of what we call holistic education for our students. You will never find a school, any school in Singapore, which does not offer music and art lessons to its students. So I think fundamentally we need to acknowledge that it is not a luxury. It is central to one's being and central to one's ability to discern who he or she is and that whole identity formation. And by paradox, in the situation of COVID and the lockdown, I think people consume more arts than ever. So at SOTA, we do not just prepare students to take on professional careers in the arts. That's not what the school is about. But I think the vision of the school is really to nurture creative citizens for the future. So wherever my students take their places in other fields beyond the arts, I think the skills that they have learned, the adaptive skills that they have learned in the course of the art making, in the six years that they spend with us, will stand them in very good state for the future. What are some of these skills? Creative and critical thinking, the ability to communicate to discern nuances and shades of meaning, to collaborate with people of different cultures, and lastly, really to search for meaning in everything that they come across and the ability to make sense of a very, very difficult and confused and ambiguous world. Yeah, so I agree that the arts and academic training can complement each other very well and that the arts has great value even for students who do not become professional artists. I mean, for myself, I didn't become a professional artist, but the arts has been instrumental in who I am and also taught me a lot about life and just the human capacity for self-expression and the need to make meaning. And Mary, I understand you were a music graduate from King's College London and you taught in non-art schools before becoming principal of SOTA. What have you observed over the years about the value of arts education for students who are not training to be professional artists? I have taught, yes, I've taught in mainstream schools and I've got quite a few batches of students who have graduated and gone on to non-arts careers. On the one hand, I've got people who have decided very early on they want to pursue an arts career and they do so at the very highest, excellent international level. Then there are others who have decided that they want to go into law, medicine, engineering, business, education, a whole range of other professions. I think what discerns students who have been through an arts education is their ability to actually bridge disciplines. So at SOTA, at the moment, I think we have got many conversations going on about interdisciplinary learning. And I think through the experience of COVID and increasingly complex 21st century world, I think it's very important for students to be able to make sense of the world at the seams, the seams between the academic world and the arts world. I think increasingly this is going to be a valued disposition and skill in the 21st century. Sasi, for me personally, it has been a pleasure to follow ITI's journey all the way back when it was TDRP. 
And I know that the contemporary acting course, it teaches traditional Asian forms of theatre and it focuses not just on technical skill, but also social engagement and cultural intellectual awareness for the students. It's a unique pedagogy and how would you assess the significance and impact of this? I think fundamentally for us, the touchstone of the work that we are doing is the quality of the work of our students. As I've, I've always said that ITI stands or falls on the work of our students. We have nothing else to show for our work. And all of our students, every single one of them who has graduated, we have more than 70 right now, who are working in theatre. They are working in the arts. They are either making theatre, they are acting in theatre, they are running theatre companies, they... They are writing, they are dramaturging, they are directing. They are at the core of the practice. And they are making theatre for their own communities, whether it happens to be a village in Mindanao, in the Philippines, or whether they are working with tribal people in Kerala, in India, whether it's Mexico City or in Poland or in the middle of London or in Paris. Wherever they find themselves, they are working with people of different cultures, different languages, different disciplines and training, but always seeking to use that difference for the sake of creativity, for theatre. The commitment to make theatre which is relevant and good and speaks to people is the foremost thing that we ask of our students. And each one of them is doing that in their own way, in their own capacity. And for me, that's the most important thing. And of course, at the very highest level, you get someone like Yu Yen Yen, who bags two Golden Horse Awards uh, in her career as an actress, which is unheard of by anyone. I mean, the Golden Horse Awards is the highest acting award in the Chinese film world. It's like somebody bagging two Oscars. And that's what she's done. And now she's been nominated for an Asian Actress Award, which I think is one end of that scale. And I'm very proud of that level of work that she's doing. But beyond that, at the level of the community, at the level of society, at the level of schools, students are just working away. And in every sphere, they are leading the cultural revolutions within their own society, and that's important. Mary, if I may ask you the same question, what makes you proud? What makes you the proudest when you think of SOTA students? Despite being a relatively young school, SOTA has produced two precedent scholars, and many more who are starting to make their mark in the Singapore art scene and abroad. Well, I am certainly proud of these students who achieved these phenomenal feats. But beyond these achievements... I guess I would be most proud if my students developed a strong and passionate call, not just for themselves as artists, but as cultural leaders for a cause much larger. I believe that Singapore needs young people who are able to leverage the arts to build a thinking, discerning, caring and cohesive society. We also need champions of our heritage. In SOTA, we have a program called Refreshing Traditions, it is a program supported by the Tomasic Foundation, aimed at anchoring our young people in our own local cultures and heritage. Hopefully, they will learn to guard and grow these traditional art forms 
ensuring that they continue to be relevant well into the future. I think this is so important for nation building and in defining Singapore's identity. So Mary, speaking about the future, and I mean, students are, are the future of, of the arts, but at the same time, the future of arts education also is looking uncertain with some of the changes brought about by COVID. Do you anticipate that these changes will result in more lasting changes to curriculums or pedagogy? I think the impact of COVID on education is going to be significant. And the impact uh, of it is going to be long felt. The Ministry of Education has brought forward the NDLP by seven years. The NDLP stands for the National Digital Literacy Programme, where every child will be supported to purchase a digital learning device from the time they step into secondary school. Minister Ong Kang, a former education minister, likened this to a digital transformation on steroids. But more significantly, MOE is also making blended learning a regular feature of the school experience, and they're going to do so from 2021. Blended learning refers to a seamless integration of structured in-person learning with more flexible, perhaps out-of-school learning. Now, my students at SOTA, who have always been a curious and creative bunch, are really looking forward to this. And we are at the moment tapping into the enthusiasm to co-create this. Sasi, just now you spoke about how digital, how during COVID, the most fundamental change has been that actors have to learn to perform without an audience for digital and, and how in so many ways digital has transformed the practice of theatre. How do you think digitalization and other COVID-induced trends will transform the arts sector as a whole? And then how can students be prepared to practice their crafts and enter professional spaces in this context? I think the new actor, as it were, will have to deal with the anxiety of loneliness much, much better. I think that this is going to be fundamental in the way in which he or she is going to be able to navigate a new world in which they can be creative and productive. That's one thing. The other thing is they need to understand the digital medium much more deeply and understand what interactions, what possible connections can be made between the living, breathing body of the actor and this electronic interface that exists that's going to connect him or her to a viewer. These are fundamental questions where I think the skills and craft that they have picked up for stage acting has to be nuanced, has to be understood and owned in a way that they feel confident enough to be able to perform for the non-existent audience, as it were. And they need to be able to recover that sense of sure-footedness that an actor must have on stage, even if there is no one watching him or her. It's a big ask, Claire. It's a, it's a very, very big ask. And I'm not sure how long it's going to be able to take for actors to be able to make this transition. But I don't think we have a choice. We need to become more resilient. We need to become more skillful. And we need to build up strength, a core strength in ourselves to be able to overcome whatever the craft requirements are, the new craft requirements are. And that's something that we are discovering every day in the studio. 
Well, I personally am hopeful about the resilience of the arts and the resilience of our musicians, our theatre practitioners and, and our dance makers to not just survive, but also, also thrive and remake the arts in this new normal. And I want to thank Sassi and Mary for being with me in the studio today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Making a Scene is produced by Esplanade Theatres on the Bay, Singapore's National Performing Arts Centre. Our theme music is from More Than We Know, from the album Sea Monster by the Steve McQueens, a band supported by the Esplanade under the Mosaic Associate Artists Initiative. Look for more episodes of Making a Scene at esplanade.com offstage and on Spotify and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations with art makers. Wow.